Welcome to the Sensibly Speaking Podcast. This is Chris Shelton, the critical thinker at large, coming at you the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, here in 2018. And as December is coming upon us, I start getting reflective. I start thinking about things. In fact, it was about seven years ago or so that I started getting reflective about my life as a Sea Org member. And that's what kind of got me on the road to getting out of Sea Org and getting out of Scientology and led me here. So this time of year is always a, a little bit thoughtful for me. And I started to think about what it means to be an American in 2018, coming into 2019. Uh, because this is there's been a lot of this has been a noisy couple of years we've been experiencing the last few years. And um, I, the recent um, instances of, um, well, the recent instance with Khashoggi, the journalist who was uh, murdered over uh, by Saudi Arabian forces, um, got me thinking about foreign relations, got me thinking about our place in the world. And of course, uh, we've had a very, tumultuous last couple of years because of our own uh, United States American political situation and uh, and something that's been building for I think longer than just the last couple of years that we comment on all the time about the divisiveness in the country and the partisan politics and the way that it's not just a matter now of people agreeing to disagree but they really are making out anyone who disagrees with them as an enemy and somebody to be destroyed and that's something that is um, not as new, I think, as some people might think, but it seems to be talked about more and seems to be more in our faces now than it ever has been before. So I got to thinking about this and I did a little bit of research and looked online at some things. And, you know, if you survey a bunch of 10 to 12 year olds about what it means to be an American, they pretty much tell you that it's about being free and uh, how America is the greatest place ever and, you know, this sort of thing. And, of course, that's what you would expect to hear from 10 to 12-year-olds who are growing up in the United States and being taught that we're the greatest country in the world, just like every other country, I'm sure, teaches their children. <laughs> I don't think you would find um, children in the UK or children in France or children in Sweden saying things a whole lot different. I don't think they'd be saying America's the best. I think they'd be saying France or the UK or Sweden is the best because that's just how countries are. Um, in terms of you know, benefits or, or reasons why America is a great place. Well, there's a laundry list of reasons. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of good things going on in the United States, and there always has been, which is why it's an empirical fact that there's a whole lot of people who want to come here. Um, I mean, just, just on that alone, you kind of go, well, there must be something appealing about this place. And, of course, we have a, a, a fairly uh, revolutionary or, or uh, good a set of documents that make up the constitution of this country and the Bill of Rights of this country. There's there's good things here. Um, there's protection by the law, even protection by the law from the law. And a lot of countries don't necessarily have that or have um, freedoms like that. Uh, but this isn't necessarily, I'm not, I'm not presenting this podcast as a pro-American, you know, um, mom and apple pie and hamburgers and hot dogs kind of podcast. I just wanted to throw out some initial positioning on this in terms of where are we going with this, right? 
Um, there's a couple quotes I wanted to read, and then I'm going to bring on my guest, uh, Brandon Estrella. He's a friend of mine and uh, somebody who has uh, uh, been in the military and has, uh, I would say, a, a pretty patriotic pro-American person. He and I have had many discussions about left and right, and and, uh, and we both kind of agreed that we're on uh, on on different ends of the spectrum, just depending on what you're talking about, really. Anyway, Brandon, welcome to my podcast here, uh, and thanks for being a guest this week. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate the invite. Absolutely. Um, so why don't we, why don't we, why don't I just read over these quotes here that I wanted to read, and then we can sort of open up our discussion here and, and see where we go with this. Um, Okay, cool. So there is a historian, Gordon Wood. I, I was looking this up, doing a little bit of research here and found these quotes and I thought they were, you know, good uh, variations of a, of a theme here on what some of the struggles are that are going on here in the States these days. Um, first off, Gordon Wood says, quote, precisely because we are not a people held together by blood, no one knows who an American is except by what they believe. It's important that we do know our history because our history is the source of our Americanness. End quote. And I thought that was pretty apt and uh, certainly correct. Uh, we are still the, you know, the big, huge melting pot, maybe the biggest one in the world. I, 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 don't, I haven't done a demographic breakdown of it. So somebody would probably have something to say if I said we're the biggest melting pot in the world. But I think we're, I think we're certainly representative of that. Um, now, this is, a, this is another quote I found that I thought was, uh, was pretty good. And this is um, by a writer. Her name is Rosemary, uh, or Rosemary Bray. And she wrote, quote, When people wrote, all men are created equal, they really meant men. But they didn't mean any other men except white men who owned land. That's what they meant. But because the ideas are powerful, there's no way that they could get away with holding to that. It's not possible when you have an idea that's as powerful and as revolutionary as a country founded on the idea that just because you're in the world, just because you're here, you have a right to certain things that are common to all humanity. That's really what we say in those documents. The idea that we begin the Constitution with, we the people, even though they didn't mean me. And this is Rosemary talking, of course, and she is a Chicago-based um, black woman writer. And she goes on to say, they had no idea I'd ever want to make a claim on that. And they'd have been horrified if they'd known that any of us would. But you can't let that powerful an idea out into the world without consequences. Thought that was a very good quote. And finally, Vicente Martinez um, was asked about this. He is a uh, person living in New, New Mexico, and he wrote, quote, the American dream has no meaning for me. What it was founded on, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, in many ways, I feel are used as billy clubs against minorities and cultural minorities, whether they be gay or different in any way from the norm in this country. I, for example, don't think I'd like to go to California because of what I look like. I could be pulled over and carded, and I would have to prove my ancestry. And look how long my family has been in northern New Mexico, 10 to 12 generations. So 
Uh, there's a little bit of variety for you there as far as um, some of what people are thinking and feeling about when asked the question, what does it mean? What does it mean to be an American or what about the American dream? So Brandon, what's your, what's your take on all that? I think what it means to be an American, if somebody were to ask me right at this moment, right now, I believe that being an American is taking pride in your country, wanting to see your fellow, your fellow countrymen and women do well, achieve their goals, dreams, hopes, um, make sure that they're safe, uh, you know, doing well towards others. I think that being an American is about taking pride in a country that is very unique, unlike any other, based on an idea that I feel that we have freedoms in this country that other people die to come here. And um, I think what it means to be an American is that you have respect in yourself, but you have respect for your country and uh, those that live among you and the, the people that have obviously fought to keep this country free. Um, I think to be an American means that you're proud of your country and you're proud of those around you as fellow Americans, as American citizens. Okay. Uh, fair enough. And I would tend to agree with you in terms of the, um, you know, sort of nationalistic attitude or patriotism, pride in one's country and, and the ideas of freedom and democracy and, um, and free will are certainly pervasive, powerful ideas, very, very important. They, uh, you know, I think, um, I think maybe some people in, in some countries might get a little sick of hearing some of this because they are kind of thinking, well, yeah, but we do the same things here, <laughs> you know, uh, right. you know, with some other, some other places in the world. But really the point is not, you know, to compare uh, that, you know, us and, and our freedoms to other Western nations that also provide freedoms and, and, and rights uh, so much as the, the rest of the world where there's, there's still amazingly backwards places in the world and places where people get up in the morning and they don't necessarily have the freedom to say what they want, think what they want, um, re worship as they want. Uh, or the environment around them is much more dangerous to their survival if they were to try to exert their own human rights. I saw a movie last night called Not Without My Daughter with Sally Field and Alfred Molina, I believe his name is, mm. where she, she's an American and she's married to a physician. Yeah, they're both Americans living in New York, but he's Persian. And this was during the, uh, the rise of the Ayatollah. So he feels that he has some responsibility to his country. So they move them back to um, Iran and he's living there with his family. And he goes from being like this really nice all-American guy to going back to his roots under, you know, the pushing of real radical religion, worshiping the Ayatollah. And also like, you know, what you're saying is people don't have like certain freedoms and, and rights and stuff like we do. And Sally Field was just culture shocked when she couldn't go outside without wearing, you know, full face covers. Uh, she couldn't do this, she couldn't do that. She couldn't divorce her husband and have a rights to the children. Just all these things that, you know, if your husband wants to kill you, it's okay. You did something wrong to deserve this. Or it was just a very, you know, and as I was watching this movie, I remember saying to myself, I just feel so lucky that I was born here. And I feel so... It could have it could have drastically been the other way. 
had my mother decided to fly to one of those countries for whatever reason, I could have been born there. And, you know, and I'm not saying that, that anybody over there is bad, but I'm saying that America is an interesting idea that it was a, it was a kind of, I would say America was a test to see if this could work. And we had, you know, like you said, the constitution, the bill of rights and people was just like, all right, let's try this. Let's see if everyone can enjoy these rights. And some people push back against it, oddly enough. Um, and that's weird. I found that out that some people don't like the idea of America as Americans. Yeah, no, for sure. In fact, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because it segues nicely into the other point I wanted to make here, which is that I think that we're seeing or hearing or feeling or getting the idea of, or at least it's certainly being shoved down our throats from some quarters, that um, that America is a very angry place right now. There's a lot of anger uh, fomenting here uh, that maybe some of it's been brewing for quite a while. Um, you know, there's there's old unfinished business, you know, in some quarters. Uh, the rights issues, of course, are very contentious. I think personally that, you know, the rights of Americans uh, in America are so far head and shoulders above what, you know, individual rights I'm talking about now are so far above what goes on in so many other parts of the world that I think we lose a lot of perspective of that. But I understand that people, you know, are not satisfied with, okay, well, just because other people have it worse off than we do doesn't mean I shouldn't be fighting for full equal rights under the law or in, you know, in, at a cultural level. And I, and I get that. I understand that. Uh, in fact, I think in some ways, some people think that the only thing that is uniting Americans anymore is our, is our anger. Our <laughs> you aggression. Know? Yeah. You're, oh, you're upset. Me too. <laughs> exactly. Even if we're upset about different things, you know, I think some of us seem to hate America, but I don't think it's that it's, I don't think it's that so much as, you know, I don't think it's hatred. I think it's more that people are, they find out when they get older that uh, they were told a lot of lies in school. Um, they, you know, the, how the American dream doesn't actually seem to match up to reality. Um, you know, the American dream is not everything gets handed to you on a silver platter and somebody else pays for it. That's not, I've never spoken with anyone who thinks that is how their life is supposed to go. So I think there's a gross misrepresentation that goes on with millennials or with the younger generation. And you're going to see that every generation, but it does get a little bit tiresome after a while to be so grossly misrepresented. You know, all the, all the younger people that I know are very hard workers. Most of them are holding two or three jobs down, in fact. And they are a bit disillusioned. And that is what I mean when I say the reality doesn't match up with expectations of what you're taught in school about the American dream. And so there's a sense of betrayal and anger comes from betrayal or it, it can over that kind of thing, you know? And so the protest that we see and the, and the anger that's expressed about that is not, well, let's, let's destroy America now. It's more of an effort to try to make it what they were, what we're taught in school or what these ideals should be as laid out in the constitution, the bill of rights, like the whole, like, for example, the whole kneeling thing at, uh, at football games, you know what I mean? That's the, it's, it's, uh, it's a nonviolent civil protest, but even that's, you know, too far beyond the pale for some people. And, 
Uh, they get treated like they're, you know, they, people who think they're patriotic Americans have to, you know, naysay this, this, this nonviolent civil form of protest, which is really the least somebody could do to bring attention to, you know, problems against minorities in America. But even that is too much for some people. So I think, you know, that these clashes of, of ideas don't come from hatred, but somehow that that gets entered into the mix somehow. And I, I don't know where that. Well, just for a second, um, let me jump on that. The whole kneeling of the flag thing, because every single one of my friends, including those in the middle, absolutely despise it. And they know what it stands for. They understand that he, you know, is maybe not trying to disrespect the flag or the men and women who fought and died under it. But, you know, he's trying to bring awareness to, um, you know, the occasions of police brutality involving law enforcement and minorities. And so I asked my friends that were on the extreme right and that were in the middle or that were new Republicans or I guess the new age would be young, new Republicans or something like that. Um, and then even people on the left. And, you know, and I said, like, you know, so what is your thing about that? And they said, we have no problem of him exercising his First Amendment under the Constitution. We even agree that he should be able to protest. But there's a few things. One, he's paid to play football, not go up there and start going, you know, uh, protesting or giving his political opinions. I couldn't go to my work and hold up a Trump sign and then, you know, start telling everyone that I love Trump while I'm in my cubicle. And, and then everyone saying that with the amount of money that this guy has, instead of perpetuating this thing that, you know, the police are just, you know, hold on there, black guy. That this is like this message that keeps circulating. With the amount of money that he has, this is what a lot of people feel that he could do something, build something to where he could create a program and outreach to bind communities and law enforcement together with all of that money. And that there would be far more, um, you know, um, what is the term I'm looking for? Um, it would be a lot better for him to set up like an after school, like a police and school activities league or, you know, something of that nature, maybe buy books or something like that. So maybe that guy that feels that he doesn't have a choice at the end of his life and gets into crime and then has a negative counter with police officers, you know, actually does get to graduate because he can have that book or he can have this or that. And that's my opinion too. And, you know, and I don't look at it as a race thing. I think partly the reason he did it was he was kind of falling out of the limelight and he knew that Nike was going to love this. Nike doesn't care about black, white, cop, or anything like that. They care about money. And, you know, he was doing the, 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 the showing of that. And they're like, oh, we can use this to sell our shoes. And, um, but I, I do think that there comes to a point where, and I was talking to my dad about this, who was one, a cop, and two, a full blown, as he likes to say, I'm the real burrito. <laughs> he's full, you know, he's full fledged uh, Mexican. And he's very proud of his, his culture. And he said, you know, when I was when I was growing up, I experienced racism, um, you know, like uh, I, I experienced a, a lot of it, you know, but it was a different time. And he's like, but also as a cop, I remember when I started started this thing called uh, Cops and Jocks, where we went to, you know, the local community high schools and we worked with the um, the the schools with, for after uh, for at risk kids. And we maintained a, a great relationship with the athletes and the kids that were in trouble a lot. We said, hey, you know, we'll take you on ride-alongs. We'd have barbecues, take them on field trips. And 
And he's like, I just wish there was more of that going on rather than this perpetuating that, you know, like on the both sides of that, you know, cops are not doing anything wrong, which is false because police do break the law. They're human. And then the other thing that, which I feel that Colin Kaepernick is pushing the, you know, yeah, he's, he may be protesting in the details that I'm against those individual officers that have broken the law and murdered unarmed black men, which is totally against the law and it's wrong, it's evil. But that message is not getting across because when people look at that, I, I feel that they're looking at that he's protesting against cops and, you know, or the flag. I, I just feel that there's better ways to protest and get your message across. And I would think with somebody that has that platform, he has such a big capability to do it and fix so much and, or maybe try to get the message out there. But I mean, I'm not going to tell the guy how to protest. That's his first amendment right. But that's just what I've gotten back from it. And that's how I personally feel as well. So, well, there's a lot to unpack there, but um, I'll start with the, the the first thing that I've that I've heard um, that I find endlessly annoying, and actually, uh, yeah, I, I, there's so many words I have for this, but this idea that he's on the job and I can't go to work and and throw up a Trump sign or something. Um, okay, he, he did not. Colin, since we're going to have to talk about him as some sort of like, you know, individual, even though there's a lot of people who, including even cheerleaders at this point, who are engaging in this protest, this form of protest. And again, I'm going to stress that it's nonviolent. It is completely civil. And it is done during and only during one part of this individual's job. And that's the part of his job where apparently he has to profess patriotism, or he's somehow a horrible, evil person. Like, in other words, what other job do, do you go to or I go to where we have to stand for the national anthem? There is no jobs, but it was never asked of me. Well, I, mean, I know, but I'm just making the point that this is a rather interesting thing, right? Because part of your job is to stand for the national anthem. Well, what if you have an actual problem with some part of the national anthem? Or specifically here, the fact that there is a kind of hypocrisy with this national anthem, whereas we're supposed to all be free under the equal rights under the law, we're all supposed to have these opportunities, we're all supposed to have this this fairness, you know, sort of thing. And yet that's not an accurate reflection of the reality of America. So here's an effort to bring some attention to that. And yet, instead of dealing with that problem, we're presented with a laundry list of reasons why this individual doesn't have the right to actually say what he wants to say, and actually should just shut up and be happy that he has his millions and what's his problem anyway. And yet, we look to our sports figures, celebrities, national public speakers, and spokespeople to set trends, to bring attention to things that we might not have attention on otherwise. Uh, here is somebody who is actually exerting his rights as given to him under the law, and it's still, he has to hear about it. He still has to be given a ration of crap about it. And I just thought, you know, I just think there's something a little bit 
screwy about that. I um, agree. And, and my, to end my feeling on it is I don't agree with it. I don't think that he's right in the way that he's handling the situation, but I would never in a million years take away his right. I'd be the first person to die to protect them to do that. Um, I just, I just don't think it's, it's right, you know, and I think there's ways that he could do it differently, but I, I, he has every single right. Nobody should ever be able to take that away from him, including Donald Trump. He's out of his mind when he said that. Well, for for sure. And uh, you're not going to get any argument from me saying Donald Trump mind about this, that, or the (laughs) other thing, you know? Um, But I, I think another, I think the thing that I saw or was, um, feeling a little bit like, hey, what the hell about was when I started seeing memes about how soldiers died for his right to do that. So he should shut up. And I just thought to myself, do you not see the hypocrisy of what you just said? Like if people went to die for our Bill of Rights so that people could have the right to speak and think and and worship and everything else the way that they individually want to, then when somebody does that in a way that you don't like, guess what? You're the one who gets to shut up, not them. Yeah, it was, I hate that meme. It was so hypocritical. I saw it and then I said, like, wait a second, you just shot yourself in the foot with this one. This one. You said that they went and fought and died to protect us, right? Now you're saying that he can't exercise his right, that those soldiers fought and died for? How does that make sense? Exactly. Exactly. You know, because it's just like, okay, so you can't, you know, you can't do it on the job. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do the other thing where, you know, we're, we're not going to be happy unless we're not seeing you and not hearing you. Well, the whole point of a protest is to be seen and heard, even though you don't necessarily want to be seen or heard. And by the way, the other thing I want to say about this job thing that I just want to, I want to really kill this because if that were true, that you could not protest anything at your job, you're there, you're getting paid, shut up and sit down and do your job, then we would never have had labor unions and we never would have had the advances and gains in uh, wages, in scheduling, in child labor that we needed to have in order to come forward into our, our modern society where we have weekends off, eight-hour workday, minimum wage. These are all things that were gained only by actual, even willing to go violent protests at the workplace for our rights. Yeah, yeah, I think that, you know, again, um, this is going to be probably an area where we just disagree, ah, have to agree to disagree. Um, I, I think that, you know, I understand, again, that's his right. I just don't agree with it because um, I don't feel that he is being wronged while on the job. I don't feel that, you know, the coach is coming over and saying that you have to sit out there because you're black or that you can't do this or whatever. I think that he's trying to portray a message of what she strongly believes in. And I get that and I'm all for it, but there's certain ramifications that also go into it. And I think that the message that is being said is not being heard what he's trying to portray. I think the message is being heard wrong. Um, I think by not necessarily people that he's messaging to, I think they understand him, but I don't think anybody else is, you know, that, uh, that is looking at it quick for what it is. Cause if, you walk into the room and you see somebody, everyone's standing up and saluting the flag and then you see one guy kneeling, they're not going to be like, oh, well, you know, he's he's uh, protesting, you know, the uh, the officers that have been in charge and usually got away scot-free from shooting at an armed minority. Okay. You know, but it's like they see it, you know, but again, also the media is hurts these things so much 
And I, I just so sick of the media because the media almost twists people and how they think sometimes. Um, because if I watch Sean Hannity, you know, I'm thinking that Colin Kaepernick is calling for the assassination for police officers. And, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's, so it's, again, it's all what space you put your head into and which is why you have to expose yourself to everything. And I'll be the first person to say that I've been wrong on some things for sure. And, you know, but, um, uh, again, I think just and my feelings about it, I I don't agree how he's doing it. I think it could be done better, but I would never take his right his right away to do it. So okay, fair enough. Well, yeah. I I I don't know any other way he could do it more effectively because it's having the precise exact reaction that he wanted, which is people are talking about it, and that is better than you know going off and doing something that nobody's paying any attention to, and then nobody hears you or has or sees you or knows anything about it. Protest by definition has to be something people find disagreeable <laughs> or they will not respond to it or pay attention to it. You know what I mean? Good point. Yeah. Getting back to this sort of theme of what does it mean to be an American? I think that we are seeing a, um, a, a, a backlash now against a whole nother thing, which is identity politics. Mm. Uh, I'm not going to put Colin Kaepernick's thing into identity politics. One, I don't, I don't think what he's doing is necessarily completely political in nature. I think there's politics involved in fixing that problem, but I don't think he's making a left or right wing stance there. I think he's making a human rights protest is what he's actually doing, but that's how I, that's how I see and would define his actions. But there is this thing called identity politics. It tends to be fairly strong on the left. It also goes on on the right. And it seems to me that it's getting, it's gotten enough spotlight now for enough years, because it's been going on for quite a while, that there, that people are starting to see that it's more harmful than helpful because it seeks to fight for, you know, you have one group that identifies one way and another group that identifies another way and another group that identifies another way. And you'd think all these guys would be getting along because they're all minority groups who are fighting for equal rights, but they don't. They actually sort of weaken each other. And the overall, you know, if you're going to put them all, if you're going to talk about the ones that are on the left, it tends to weaken the left because of this, these factions and, and infighting and, and problems with that when, you're, when your politics you know, rests on a fundamental of your identity. I, I, think, there's, I think there's issues with that. Now, real quick, now, when you're saying the left, are you saying just like your moderate Democrat left or you're talking about like a radical like leftist? Well, it tends to span the whole spectrum to one degree or another. The degree of extremism connected with it or the degree of intensity connected with it increases as you go down the spectrum, as you move farther and further left on the spectrum. But um you know, there's, I think there's a, you know, I think, I think they shoot themselves in the foot when it's like, okay, well, we want full equal protection under the law and, and recognition in society for who we are and what we are. Um, but then they end up doing the same thing, that same kind of uh, prejudicial discrimination against other groups that are not their in group, even if those groups are kind of on their side so to speak. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you, you see this sort of thing, like you get, okay, for example, I mean, there's, and this, these are pointed up as uh, small examples. These are not pervasive overall huge issues, 
But I think this highlights the kind of problem with identity politics to start with, which is you get a group of feminists and they're all about, you know, okay, we're going to have a group here and it's going to be all women and we're going to all get along and we're going to push feminist agenda and, and, and feminist rights. And then someone who's a transgender woman used to be a guy. Now he's a woman. She right. Comes in and says, well, I want to be part of this group. And they're like, get out of here. You suck. You're not a woman. We don't want to have anything to do with you. How dare you, you know, come in through to our enclave and, and taint us with your maleness, right, or transgenderness, or whatever. And I'm exaggerating for effect here, but you get the so idea. That's what happened to Caitlyn Jenner? It, well, sure, and and mm-hmm. uh, and others. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I could Google the specifics of it, but this is the general idea here. And like I said, I'm not. Again, I'm not putting out there that all feminists are this way. I don't think that they are by any means. I think you. I have to move a little bit down that that spectrum of extremism before you get to that, that feminine group, that, that feminist group. Right. But I'm just making the point that when they are, you know, fighting amongst each other, you get a weakening of the whole side of the left, so to speak. And you get, you know, a lot of good um, arguments and, and uh, pushback by people on the right who look at that and correctly say, that's nuts. That's, that's crazy talk. You know, what are you guys doing? Uh, and they just kind of roll their eyes and think that everybody on the left is just kind of nuts and everybody on the left is, is not kind of nuts, but that's what they end up saying and thinking, you know? Well, yeah, the biggest problem with that is that you have the identity politics and then it becomes so like, I guess to lack of a better word, but rabid that you get this group think mentality, kind of like something like with the young Turkson type of, you know, the way they push stuff and, you know, it's it's like if you are not in 110% in view of every little thing that we stand for, even if you are one of us, you're going to get kicked out of our chamber. You're not allowed back and you somehow become something that we hate. And it's just your message is lost in that. And everything that you fought and tried to achieve by pushing a positive narrative is gone. And it's just too bad. Uh- Exactly. I think you just nailed it, right? If you're going to have an agenda of equal rights for all, then you better demonstrate that in your behavior. And you better, you know, and and you better like that, that needs to come across in how you speak and act with everybody. Um, Now, this is no... You know, I'm not letting the right off the hook here. I mean, you know, some of the guys on the right are like, you know, well, none of these people should even exist. You know, the transgender is against the it's against God and feminists. Well, they've they've got equal rights now. They don't have anything to say. Well, no, they don't. They don't. Actually, there are lots of places in society where there are still issues. And and if you can't recognize that or acknowledge that, then what what the hell, man? Why? Why? Why is that such a why is that so contentious of a thing to acknowledge that that in some places it's in in certain circumstances, women have a really bum rap. You know, like there's nothing wrong with saying that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I don't understand why this becomes such a such a thing, but it does, you know. Um, transgender issue. This is an important issue. It's an equal rights and human rights issue. It's a very, very tiny percentage of our population. This is not like something that should consume all of our attention. Right. But it should get some of our attention. These are people who deserve you know, as a, a as a group of people to not be ridiculed and and beat up and killed because of the way they want to express themselves in their life. That's just, again, how do you call yourself a red-blooded, 
American, patriotic American, you know, and then discriminate like that. It doesn't, it just doesn't make any sense, you know? Some of the arguments I've heard against that is when I was talking to um, one of my friends who's who's pretty, I, I think he would call himself a progressive. And he was saying, I think he was saying, I think one of the problems when there's ever these group movements and they're pushing for something, I feel that change happens with time. And I think that when people don't understand something, and it's not that they fear it or is that they hate it, but they feel that it's being rammed down their throat and automatically saying, you're supposed to accept it into all aspects of your life. And if you don't, then you're somehow an evil person and we hate you. And to where it makes that person go on the defensive. And I think that's what happens sometimes in, in any sort of thing where, there, where a narrative is being pushed, whether it's positive or negative. I think just people sometimes don't know how to handle it because they're not being given the education about it. And because if they're not educated about it, how can they understand it? How can they accept it? But what doesn't work is you by, you know, attacking them for things that they may not even feel. And yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a complicated issue when you get into the weeds and stuff on it, because there is plenty of educational material out there. There's plenty of studies and information about, um, for example, the transgender community, or we could say anything in the LGBT community. We could say anything with feminism or any of this stuff. Um, I think that, uh, I think you're right that that change is slow. Societal change, cultural shifts take time. Um, and it takes this kind of level of, of, of protest and pushback in order to, um, in order to affect that change. I think my point with identity politics is that it's not that it's unnecessary that these groups fight for their rights. I'm not trying to make that point. I'm trying to say that when you get clickish about it and you're only, yeah, you're only pushing for your little, piece of the pie, so to speak. Well, there's a bigger picture. And I think we would all be more effective. I mean, my criticism here is not criticism in the direction of shut up all you idiot identity politician, you know, politics people. It's get together and become more effective by working together. You know, I think is is more my my push on that. Yeah, don't outcast people that could be, you know, your best friend in that in, in that fight. Yeah, exactly. It, well, exactly. And this is this is one of the things that really annoys me the most about it when I'm when I'm told, well, this is how you have to be an ally, and if you don't do these things, then you're no ally of ours. What are you? What? I think that's crazy. You know, like you're not a good ally because you said this word or you're not a good ally because you, you you can't help but be racist or this or that because of your skin color. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, what do you, what? I don't, I don't really quite agree with that whole. And that's unfortunately, that is not the message that is, that is originally there but it gets lost in the weeds. And, the, and whenever somebody hears identity politics, now they're like, ah, no, I don't want to even touch that. And yeah. it's just, identity politics has kind of been, like a lot of things, things start good and things are the foundation of good. But then people, for whatever reason, just don't use the arguments correctly and it comes off as hostile. And well, I it think- does. It does come across as hostile. It comes across as very hostile. And I don't know that that's the best way to go about, you know, being inclusive or trying to get inform and keep allies or trying to 
get you know some kind of forward motion and and progress in society when you come across as this angry vindictive person who is uh i understand that there are reasons to be angry and vindictive in fact in fact i have all the reasons in the world to be angry and vindictive towards scientology but i haven't been Right. Right. I am an angry person when it comes to Scientology. I've got lots of reasons to be. I was extremely victimized by that group. But you've never seen me come on my channel and say, if you don't agree with what I say about this, you're no friend of mine and get out of here and you're scum of the earth because you're not fighting Scientology the right way. Yeah, you're not there. You're not in front of um, uh, Big Blue attacking the Sea Org, you know, and yelling at them. All exactly. That stuff. That's uh, the analogy I'm, I'm making here, right? Is it's like you don't have to come across that way. You don't have to put yourself out there that way. You don't have to alienate potential allies by being a jerk. You know, that's 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 what I'm trying to say. To put a fine point of something I just thought of right now, I remember there was this big to do about the Women's March that took place in Los Angeles. And there was all these pro-life women that were excluded from that. Um, and they were like, I can't stand up and being proud of being a woman, but because I'm pro-life, somehow I'm no longer part of this proud woman group. And they were like, I just felt so ostracized and so like pushed away. And it's like, I may not agree with, you know, my view and your view on that, but I'm a woman, I'm a proud woman, I'm a strong woman. And, you know, but I was kicked out of that march because of me being pro-life. And again, you could have had an ally. So. Exactly. That's the, that exactly. That's the point about identity politics I'm trying to make right now that I think is the reason why it's being pushed back against. I think this is the reason why you see people on the right, you know, one of the one of the reasons why you see traction being gained by people who are, for example, in the intellectual dark web, who I mainly disagree with on most things. I mean, I I can't find common ground with Ben Shapiro on just about anything. I can I've I am um, I am interested in and I enjoy listening to uh, people like Sam Harris or Jordan Peterson or people like that. Not because I agree with everything they're saying. Actually, the exact opposite. It's just that they are intellectually stimulating. They get me thinking about things and they make me reinforce or think about my positions better so that I can counter their arguments and think with, you know, why am I on this side and why do I have these values and what are these values actually? They challenge me on those things. And for that reason, I, I am happy that they're out there doing what they're doing. But one of the things that I think confuses a lot of people on the left is they go, well, why are, why are so many people following these guys or listening to these guys or what do they have to say that they're, they're transphobic and they're homophobic and they're Islamophobes and they're this and they're that. Well, actually, when you really drill down into the details, you find out that that's actually not so much the case, but it's, you know, but it's more difficult because you have to actually go listen and engage and, and think with the ideas they're presenting. So I have done that and I still disagree with a lot of what they're saying, but I appreciate the fact that they got me thinking and, and, uh, and talking and in some direction where I have to better articulate my ideas or better think through my values so that I can defend them better. You know, there, there was this guy that when I think Ben Shapiro was speaking at uh, UCSB or USC 
And this, this guy came up in the audience. He's like, Hey Ben, you know, thanks for coming here. This is a school that is predominantly, you know, progressive students. And he's like, thanks for walking in the lion's den. I have my opinion about you. And he's like, and to be honest, I don't like you, but it's not anything that you have said. It's more than likely things that were taken out of context that people told me that I've heard, but I've never actually heard you speak. You may change my mind about things, or I may still have my mind made up. He's like, but I want to hear exactly what you have to say. And maybe there's things that we agree on. And he's like, but I'm stepping out of my echo chamber. And a lot of people think that I'm somehow collaborating with a white nationalist Nazi, even though that you're Jewish. But, and, uh, you know, and then, uh, you know, a practicing, you know, person, that's not funny. Um, and, and at the end of it, and he's like, you know what, I disagree with about 60% of what you have to say, but I found a lot of common ground. So maybe we're not so different. And he's like, but I'm still a progressive. And he's like, and I don't apologize for that, but I just don't think that you're the devil reincarnated now. So, you know, that's exactly my point. Exactly. You just, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're, you're articulating what I've tried to say better than I am. Because <laughs> that's, that's, that's exactly right. I do consider myself a progressive um, in many, many ways. And I have listened to Ben Shapiro speak for hours. And I just, you know, he just annoys me to, to, to an endless degree. <laughs> uh, I think his debate style is, is intellectually dishonest in many ways. And I think some of his positions are absolutely nuts. But I would never call him uh, a Nazi hate monger. I, I don't think that is an applicable or appropriate way to describe yeah. that hero. You know? I couldn't get, I couldn't realize, man, that I couldn't just get my head over it. There was all these kids like you know in red masks and everything and they were handing up you know bash to fash and then another one said you know hate speech is not free speech and they were trying to like make it so violent and had the police shut down the university so that ben shapiro couldn't speak and he got on the mic he's like apparently they're trying to stop a white supremacist gestapo nazi from coming in here i'd like to know when he's going to come in here because i'm afraid of those guys too exactly. <laughs> they were talking about him and exactly Exactly. And, and that's where, again, where the left, you know, kind of loses it a bit in their, in their protests and stuff, because they, the, and this is another reason why I think identity politics is dying. You know, I could be wrong about that, but I think that's where it's going. And the reason why I think it's going is because exactly instances of what you just uh, described, they, they use too, they, they've used too much hyperbole too often to be taken seriously. And it's sort of a boy cried wolf sort of situation. There are valid issues that need to be addressed. But when you take those issues and blow them up to make them a hundred times bigger than they really are or exaggerate them for effect and then decry anybody who disagrees with you as a Nazi or a racist or a this or a that, you start and all the labeling. After a while, people just don't even really want to hear much of anything that you have to say anymore. And that is, I think, where we're at with a lot of identity politics. Well, this was the perfect thing, man. I'm glad you said that. This is the, the perfect uh, way to analyze what you said. Um, Dave Rubin had Sam Harris on a show the other night and they were talking about identity politics. And, and he was saying that, you know, everyone says that Donald Trump is exactly a carbon copy of Adolf Hitler. And he said, if we keep saying that, that when the real Hitler comes, because a real Hitler is not going to come to us, you know, like throwing up swastikas and, you know, like troop walking through the street, he's going to come as a nice, 
civilized, very well-spoken, very well-educated guy. And before we know it, we're going to wake up and saying, how did this happen? And if we keep saying that just because we don't like this person or this or that, it's going to slip by us and we're not even going to know it hit us. He's like, we need to stop using words like this before they lose their meaning. And, you know, he's like, because I remember when I was younger, if somebody was called a Nazi, they were doing terrible, violent, evil things to people. Now that word is used for somebody that disagrees with you. And he's like, and it's losing water and it shouldn't. Exactly. That's, and language is important because it does shape our ideas. It shapes our action. And that is that I've, I've made that exact same point. You just said, I, I, many times on social media, it drives me nuts. I, and I made that mistake myself. I think I've even made that mistake right here on this podcast. So I'm just giving myself the freedom of and latitude to grow and change. And So, you know, if somebody wants to go back and find, you know, places where I've made these mistakes, you can find them. Oh, I've done them too. Yeah, this isn't like, you know, I'm sitting here, you know, not, I've learned from my mistakes and I'm trying to make our side better as a result of that. Again, not trying to just shut everything down or say, oh yeah, the right had it right all along. No, I don't, I, I don't think that. I don't think that at all. Um. Okay, let's uh, let's talk about something else real fast, just in terms of the you know what it means to be an American thing, and then we can uh, head toward wrapping this up. I wanted to ask you about this because you've had military experience. Uh, you were in the Coast Guard, right? Mm-hmm. So you know you've probably had access to information and briefings that you know that I haven't had or or other people haven't had. And obviously, I'm not asking you to divulge anything that you've heard or or seen that's confidential. That's those those reasons why it's confidential. But I think it gives you a different perspective on things, and you can talk about that. And specifically, I'm talking about foreign policy. Now we have you've been down at the border uh, between the United States and Mexico. You've actually been down there. You've seen shots fired, you've seen what goes on with your own two eyes. Um, you know, I think our, our foreign policy is very, I think the situations that we face of aggression, of our, who our allies are and why they are our allies, because they're not necessarily our friends. Having allies in the international community does not mean we're all best buds who want to have a beer together and go party. It means that our country and those countries have common interests. Right. So we, so we have to work together to accomplish those interests or goals, even if we don't necessarily like each other, even if we're not the kind of people who ever want to have a beer together. We, right. still have to, we still have to get along and, and we still will side with different countries because they have enough common ground with us on some very, very important issues that, like, for example, they would work with us against another aggressive country that really is a problem. You know, we'll work with country A, for example, and I'm, this is going to be real super controversial, but I'll bring up Saudi Arabia, a, a country that's very backwards in many, many ways, but we'll work with them in the Middle East because they want to work with us versus say Iran. Right. You know, and that's a country that we absolutely positively do not ever want to see have nuclear weapons. Nope. Right. So we need allies in that region. And, you know, those allies are not necessarily our friends. They no, are. We have a common enemy. Yeah. Exactly. 
Exactly. So I wanted to kind of bring that up and make that point because it's a very new, it's very difficult. It's really, really hard um, to, to talk about this in a really, you know, in a, in a abstract nuanced way, because you have this recent example of this journalist Khashoggi being murdered. I don't have any doubt that that happened. I don't have any doubt that the Saudi King uh, ordered it or arranged it. Um, And I don't give the guy a pass because we're allies with them. It's not a matter of it being, it's, it, it was wrong. There's no way that that incident was right. But we have a bigger problem there. And that's why we're connected with the Saudis, because we have bigger problems than any one man or one woman. And we have to acknowledge that those problems exist and that we have to do something to counter those problems, like Iran getting nuclear weapons. And those problems are, by definition, bigger than any one man or woman. So I don't know. I wanted to get your take on all that as somebody who's had different experience than I have. Oh, well, like you said, it's a complicated one. Um, you know, anytime that you're playing um, BFF versus, okay, you know, you're somebody that can help our country, we can help your country. Are you an ally that we want to have for the common good? Not necessarily because we all agree on everything and probably not even that we would get along in a mixed society, but this, the fact that... Um, <sighs> we can help each other out. And it's just such a delicate situation that I'm at. And I do think the United States have probably made a lot of mistakes on who we deal with, but it's a time who knew what, you know, was going to happen after said events. Um, you know, for instance, like we've given weapons to people that were just scratching our heads. Like, why have we done that? But at the time we got involved with it and we did that and we've lended our liaisons, uh, you know, our operators and militaries in some aspects because it fit a common goal that we had. But I think the biggest problem with any sort of foreign policy is that people do not think far ahead enough to think about, okay, this person is saying this today, but what about tomorrow? Where do we see ourselves with this country in 10 years? And the United States does not really take that into account. I think they have a lot of analysts from the CIA and probably other, you know, um, agencies that give them that information. But in the game of politics and especially foreign policy, it is a game where you have to look at it right now and say, what is the most advantageous step for us to move that is most advantageous to the United States? Because we're not looking out for their well-being. They can help us. And that country is saying, oh, the United States can help us too. And you know, like this, this murder with uh, Khashoggi, you know, he was, it, it would be a public relations and foreign policy nightmare if we just stopped all aid and negotiations with that country. And we won't. But should we? You know? I, I know. It That's the thing. These are, these are tough questions. When you get into the details of it, they're really tough questions. You know, a, a big part of how 9-11 was pulled off, if you read Lawrence Wright's Pulitzer Prize winning book, The Looming Tower, or you watch the TV series it was based on, um, a big part of the reason why that, was, why that happened was because of competing interests of the long-term versus short-term views between the CIA and the FBI here where they weren't sharing intelligence that could have prevented that 
from happening in the first place because both agencies, competing agencies, had different perspectives on the same set of people. And that that kind of thing is is this is it's difficult because it's like, well, who's right? Well, they were both right and they were both wrong. Right. <laughs> you know, because look what happened, because they couldn't cooperate and figure out how to get along and figure out how to talk to each other in such a way as to share intelligence that mattered, that was operational intelligence that really did matter. They, you know, they chose to be adversaries instead because of individual personalities in those groups, the CIA and the FBI I'm talking about now, who were at, who took an adversarial position against one another, right? And so you end up having this, this, this tragic incident happen, uh, this, this terrorist attack of, of 9-11. Um, where we have to look at that and go, well, how did we contribute to that? How did we, how, do, how was this allowed to happen? Well, this is exactly how it was allowed to happen. And, um, and that's the long view versus the short view on the foreign policy thing, I think is why I started thinking about that or talking about that at all. The problem with when you have so many agencies, it's like there's too many cooks in the kitchen. And I think for anything to work, I, I think it has to be passed down is that you have the field operatives that go and get the intelligence and then it comes to an analyst and then it gets put in, you know, to the joint chiefs, the president, you know, and everyone else in the cabinet. But when you have so many agencies that are throwing their opinions in there, then things like nine 11 happen, you know, like one of the, I guess, kind of not exactly a, I guess one of the examples would be like after hurricane Katrina, and this was slightly before the ICS system was created, the incident command systems by FEMA. But basically what would happen is that like a, an example would be like, so you have a local sheriff department, you have uh, FEMA, CERT, a police department, and everyone shows up at the same time. And then everyone's arguing over whose jurisdiction, or I got this, no, I got this, and all that stuff. There's a certain level in a way that are things are supposed to be handled. And that's why the ICS system was created to stop that just panic and pandemonium from going on chaos. And it's kind of the same way when we have these, these agencies that handle all this data and all this knowledge, but everybody puts their own personal spin on it. There needs to be a, a sanctioned way on how this stuff gets delivered and what is done with it. And then what is the next course of action, kind of a tactical chess game, if you will. And I, I think that everyone is so quick to get their, oh, I did this, you know, and it's, and this is what's good for the country. Well, what about if we ask a committee about it, you know, and but that will work. You know what I mean? It's just, well, yeah, you want to lock something up forever, give it to a committee. That, right. that, that, what we're talking about is what really goes on in the world, right? And what really goes on in the government. But then the thing that makes it even more complicated is then trying to communicate about this to the American people in such a way that they're going to understand it. Yeah. You got to shit it. It's sort of it's sort of short attention span theater. You're talking about countries and sometimes where you're talking about places in the world that people couldn't even find on a map if they tried. Um, you're talking about a, a group of people in a country where most Americans have never been, never want to go to, certainly are not tourist spots. Nope. I'm talking about Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, you know, even Saudi Arabia. I mean, the only Americans I know who have ever gone to Saudi Arabia went there for work, not for not for pleasure. You know, right. these are not places people go. So they're not, so, that, so the awareness and the reality of what it's really like there, what really goes on there, what the politics are like there are lost on Americans. They, you know, they, they sum it up as ragheads or, or some off the cuff label. Oh, they're all just a bunch of terrorists or they're all just a bunch of this or a bunch of that. 
that's none of that's true. <laughs> you know, that's not true that they're all terrorists or they're all just a bunch of ragheads or something. I mean, it's just, it's stupid. Wait a way. second. They're not. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> You know, these are these are sovereign nations that have rulers and they have artists and intellectuals and and they the, everything we've got, they've got, you know, they just have it different in some. But cases, we need to hate really that to go and bomb them. That's yeah. what the message is conveyed to us. We need to get told that this place is evil. Everyone there wants to blow up suburban America and we need to go and pummel the crap out of them. Exactly. And, and there's too many people in the United States who don't go any deeper. They don't look any further and they think that's all there is to the story. And it's very black and white thinking. And it's very unfortunate that our news is delivered to us that way and that we've kind of grown accustomed in this generation to thinking that way uh, because it's very unnuanced and unrealistic thinking. Well, I, I, you know, I, there's some hope for me in that. I think more and more people are starting to reach out to independent media and nuancing things. Um, they're, that's starting to boom, you know, like your channel, you know, you're digging through the weeds, you're finding all the, the analytical data and you're presenting it. You're not giving an opinion on it. You're, you're presenting the evidence for people to make up their own minds. And, you know, yes, I, I work very hard at that. You wouldn't tell if this was the only show you've ever heard on my channel, by the way, because we've been doing nothing but trading opinions on this one. Right. Yeah. This, this is an we're opinionated yeah, commentator. <laughs> exactly. This is very much opinionated podcast this week, but uh, normally I think anybody who watches my show or channel would know that I do a ton of research and I really do try to get all my facts straight. And I thought this time I would just sort of unload with some opinions and commentary based on all this research I've done and all these different shows in the past. I wanted to further, we, we, we brought up Saudi Arabia. I also wanted to bring up the border situation just because we, I haven't brought up enough hot topic, hatred, you know, filled items already for this week. Um, there is the situation at the border with Mexico where you have not just Mexicans or Hondurans or Colombians, but even Asians or Middle Easterns. I mean, people come into Mexico or Latin America and then come up the line to the United States. And there are security situations there. There are things to be concerned about. However, um, I don't know that most Americans really grok what the situation is down there. You've been down there. What what's what have you observed? Um, the the border is a very very interesting part of uh, what's going on right now, and I think unfortunately a lot of Americans are not told the full facts about everything because if they were, I don't think that many people would believe the truth about it. Um, plain out, plain and simple, the facts are that. We have a border that separates us from Mexico and South America. And then we have one up there that's, you know, separates us from Canada. The ones that is separating us from Mexico and where all the other countries and stuff like that kind of align down there and, and you know, like of a kind of a rollout of land, if you will. There's no protection. There's miles and miles and miles of area where there's no fence at all. People, if you know how to jump a jungle gym, then you can jump a wall very easy. Um, people are bringing drugs or bringing, um, very dangerous drugs, not just a little bit of weed. They're bringing people, uh, sex slaves. They're bringing, um, you know, like 10, 12 year old children. Uh, they're bringing people that have been kidnapped. The human smuggling is a big thing. They're bringing over dangerous weapons. Who knows? We've, you know, we've encountered all types of stuff there. And it's just so 
easy. I, I watched a guy scale that wall in five seconds with a pound of, of drugs and who knows what else. They have a boot camp on the other side that the, the cartels will put them through that they have to scale the wall in eight seconds or, you know, they don't get the job. And when somebody's going over there, they're offered some pretty good chunk of change. And, um, but I think a lot of the images that people see is crying children and, you know, and, and mothers and stuff like that. So they think that, you know, it's this war on human beings. They're not seeing, you know, these things that the, the other part, the ugliness that is down there. And yes, there's a lot of people that are coming, you know, from other countries that do want a better life. Like, um, for instance, there was um, a family from uh, Korea. We were out there just on a regular routine patrol. We, we looked over and it was like deer in the headlights. They just looked at us and they stopped and they were like, and we're like, hey, it's okay. Uh, do you speak English? And they started, you know, speaking Korean. And I was like, okay, we're probably gonna need an interpreter. Called in for an interpreter. One came, and then they got down their knees and they just went like this. And I looked at the interpreter and I said, what are they doing? He's like, oh, they think you're gonna execute them. And I was like, what? And I'm like, yeah, in their country, if you jump the border, like, and you get caught by the authorities, that's what happens. You're executed. And I'm like. And at that moment, I was, and I was just thinking, I'm like, wow, that is insane. And I'm like, it's, it's insane for that to even happens, but it's also insane because people look at the border patrol or any of the agents that work down there, that they're just some execution squad. And one of the biggest matter is, is that it, it's been over like 300,000 people that have crossed over in such a short amount of time. Where are you going to put them all? You know, things have been like kind of improv set up and you know, and it's like the conditions are not the best, but what, how do you handle it? You know, the immigration system is broken. Absolutely. Yes. It should not take, you know, six, 10, 12 years to become an American citizen. That's apparent, but I don't think you can hate the boots on the ground for trying to handle a job that's impossible. And, you know, I just don't think people know all the facts again, you know, and I hate to use this term, but facts, not feelings. Um, but, you know, that, that's kind of coined with the right, but they're right about this one because you, if I tell you, you know what, leave your door unlocked because somebody good might come in and just maybe use your tooth or not, that's awful, uh, use your restroom or something like that, maybe take a drink of tap water. You would be like, no, I'm not just going to leave my house open. Well, you're a good person, right? Why wouldn't you want to let somebody do that? Well, because I don't know if a good person's going to come and I don't know if a you know, bad person's going to come in. Well, then you're racist. You must be a Nazi then because you don't want to let everyone in. And that's just the way everything's being coined right now. If you want to vet people, then you're an evil bastard with no heart. And if you want to let everyone in, you're you know, chaotic. And so it's, it's somewhere in between. There needs to be a good, decent vetting system. But as I said, people are not given the facts. They're given a spin on both sides what they want to hear. Fox News says it's an invasion. And then, you know, you have uh, Rachel Maddow saying that, or TYT saying it's all good people that are just looking for a wedge of cheese. And, you know, and it's, it's, it's in between. It's really in between on this one. I've never seen an example in my life where our country's policy has been so screwed up. Our system has been so screwed up or has been so broken for so many years that it has perpetuated a problem that is now coming to this huge head. 
with, you know, that we call immigration or illegal immigrants, right? Um, I mean, even this thing, even this whole thing, of, I mean, the, the facts are just scattered to the wind on both sides, exactly like you just said. And this is why when the whole children in cages thing was coming up, I was keeping my mouth pretty shut, except to say that it was really annoying me how badly the media were, were, were misrepresenting what was going on. Not that I agreed that children should be put in cages. Of course, I don't agree to that. Who would? That's insane. But that's this this much of a of a picture that is so big, that has so much going on in it, that has so many people involved in it, and and we're not being given that whole picture. We're only being given this little tiny picture to tug tug on our heartstrings. Pictures you're are, you're being shown are not accurate representations of what's actually going on. You're being I mean this, the the meme thing. I mean, that whole spin that goes on on social media is just the tiniest little tip of the iceberg of what I'm talking about when I say that there have been gross and blatant and continuing misrepresentations of this picture on both ends, so by the left and by the right, as you just described with Fox News versus CNN and Young Turks. So, we're unless you go do a whole bunch of independent research and actually talk to people like you who have actually been down there and other people I've talked to, I'm, I'm, I'm in an email chain right now with a guy whose job is border security, has been for the last 10 years. He's got all kinds of information he's given me about stuff. And I just, my world was rocked because I looked at the information I was getting from you guys versus what the media was saying. And I was like, this is night and day. This is not even from, from any end of the media. I got Fox News saying we're being invaded. Well, that's, that's not true. And I got this other guys over here going, well, you know, Trump isn't just evil incarnate and they're just putting kids in cages. And you go, well, there are problems there. There are definitely problems there, but that's not the whole picture. And if you're only getting that little tiny bit of the picture to demonize every effort that's being made to contain and control our border, then you've got a wrong picture and you're going to make wrong judgments and wrong opinions and wrong conclusions based on that. And that's that's been my problem. And I can't even blame Trump for this one, because regardless of who was president at this time, it still would have been a mess. But I mean, the, the way like you're basically you're the president of the United States and somebody says, sir, we just had the biggest load of people ever in history just hit our border within a matter of weeks. Where do we put them? What do we do? Oh, geez. What do I do? You know, how do I like. And then he goes to the people that would know what to do. And then, you know, then he signs off and, and he basically gets the intel from the ground. But then here's the other thing that people don't understand. All it takes is one person with a part of a dirty bomb. All it takes is one person with a any sort of part that they might be meeting up with somebody who's coming from the Canadian border or whatever. And half of the coast is wiped up. People just don't grasp that. And, you know, yes, we need to be humane. We need to be kind, but just because you lock your door at night doesn't mean that you hate the world. It means that you're cautious. If you're having, you know, if you're having people come over to your house, you probably want to know who's coming in your home. And, you know, maybe that person is good, or maybe that person is working with ISIS, who knows? And people say, oh, ISIS is not on the border. Oh yeah? You really want to put money that the cartel cares what color of money they get is? No. And it's just like, I hear that stuff all the time, like you guys are idiots. But I think that 
it's wrong to say that no we shouldn't do this we should just wait for a second because then people don't want to think that they're not being kind or they're not being caring and right now because everything is so divided you're put in one or the other camp and somebody doesn't want to be put in the wrong camp well exactly i mean this the situation now is more complicated than it has been in the past yes we should you know i still believe in i mean i hope nobody's gotten the idea that i that I don't believe in the plaque on the Statue of Liberty, right? I've had arguments with people online about this. You know, I was like, hey, man, we're, we represent values and opportunities and ideals for people around the world. We need to live up to that. We need to fulfill those opportunities and those potentials. But we need to do it in a smart, secure way. And I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive. It's kind of really the overall point I'm making with all of this. And, um, and I think when you get an accurate picture of, just how many people are coming in the, the the logistics nightmare that that creates for unprepared unequipped people who are down there you know who are who do not have the full budget and full support of you know the american people even and what they're doing down there the mission just gets really screwed up i mean this whole thing with you know the troops being sent down there i don't know what what was your take on what is your take on that? They're still down there as far as I know, but aren't they supposed to even be leaving before the this caravan shows up? They're supposed to be rotating home somewhere after Christmas, but Trump is kind of deciding right now, uh, with the president, whatever you want to call them, uh, if their their presence is, is needed there. Um, from the commander's edge view of it, they were saying that any sort of you know field exercise that you go on is always good training, which is true. Um, you know, if we were ever to be, you know, like a real invaded, you know, hostile force, whatever, come in, just guns blazing, this is very good training for them to see how quickly they can deploy, what type of, um, you know, skills that they can throw out there. But um, I don't think we know what type of force we're dealing with. Sure, the media may, you know, but we don't have operatives down there going through every single, you know, this there are so many people down there and, you know, like I said, they're, they're probably most of them are good, but there's people that are trying to escape the law from their own country because of, they have a record for murder, rape, you know, all kinds of bad stuff. And is this something that we want to be importing? And it's like, like somebody said the other day, man, we already got enough crappy, crappy people in America, you know, trying to evade the law. We don't need to import that. But well, that's you know, true. We, we don't need to import that. Uh, we need to be clear, though, that we're talking about the possibility that that exists. We're not saying that every oh, single... Fact. What, well, no, but I want to be clear that we're not talking about every single one of these people. Oh, no, 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 no. You no know, not, not every child that shows up at the border is a sex slave or is being trafficked. Not every single, you know, brown-skinned person or somebody who's coming up our southern border from the Middle East is a terrorist. Or, you know, people from Asia, for that matter. I mean, it's, it's not an all or nothing thing. That's the thing I really want people to get out of being able of, of thinking with is, you know, it's all this or it's all that. It, that's, that's very, very simplistic thinking. And it's not, it's not going to ever solve the problems that we're experiencing down there at the border. If we keep perpetuating these myths of absolute ideas that they're all this or they're all that they're not all good guys and they're not all bad guys they're people and we need to sort them out accordingly and that takes time and it takes a lot of money and it takes a lot of work and a lot of people and and we're not 
talking about this that way. We're not framing this problem that way. We're framing it in this whole other extremist black and white way that just annoys me to no end. And I would imagine it would annoy you too. Absolutely. Like, and like you said, um, you know, your average person is not going to sit there and, you know, go through all the information and try to make up their own mind. They're going to listen to Fox or they're going to listen to TYT or CNN, and they're going to, you know, base their opinion of what they've been told. And, you know, and they're kind of doing themselves a disservice, especially right now where our media is totally dishonest um, to, to whatever push agenda that they're, they're thinking. And I just, uh, I feel sorry too for the agents, the ICE agents there, you know, the men and women with the Border Patrol as well that, that are there just getting all this stuff. You're getting death threats for just trying to work with these people, trying to give these people a place to stay at night, you know, and, and it's like uh, they, they gutted out an old Walmart and they put entertainment centers and, you know, billiards in there. And some of these places are really nice. They're nicer than these places where these people have come from. And yeah, you know, are, are people put in these giant, uh, you know, like FEMA type housing areas, you know, that are built for emergency structures? Yes, that does happen. And it may be uncomfortable, but I would hope and I would think that these people that are running from, you know, like uh, bombings and gunfire and rapid cartels and stuff that they're probably like, oh, thank God I'm under a roof getting medical treatment, food, three squares and a cot, then possibly getting killed tomorrow. And you know, and it's just like uh, they I feel so bad for them because I, I feel that, you know, but again, I'm going to use my feeling side here for a second that I wish there was some perfect way to do it. But logistically, there is not. Um, but the way it is right now, I, I don't know. How do you place 300,000 people, you know, in in a short amount of time? Um yeah, it's a logistics nightmare. Like I said, it's it absolutely is. And until you do enough research on this that you actually get what's really going on down there, you really should hold off on too many extremist opinions or start labeling people who have who are talking about this because it's there's a lot to learn about what's going on there. And you're not going to learn all about it on Fox and you're not going to learn all about it on MSNBC or the Young Turks. You're going to have to learn about this by digging deeper. And it really is, it really is on you to do that in order to form accurate opinions about matters of this importance. As far as the military is concerned, I'm glad that they're down there to tell you the truth. I, I think that having a show force is probably saying to the people that are coming here for the wrong reasons, um, you know, saying like, Hey, look, you know, you're not, to be able to weed your, weed, uh, weed your way in here. You know, we have some pretty tough authorities on, on the line and nobody's going to run from those people except from the people that have something to run from. You know, the people that are coming here to seek sanctions are going to be fine with it. Maybe it's not the best side to see, but, you know, again, we don't want the wrong people coming in. And I think some people think of the wrong people if maybe somebody has a traffic ticket. No, these are people that probably have 100 bodies under their hand you know, or, you know, people that are trying to escape traditionary stuff in their own country. Um, there was a guy that they were interviewing in the crowd that an independent journalist, and then he was saying, oh, what are you coming here from? He's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm running from the police in my country. And he was from Honduras. And they're like, oh, what are you, what, what are you running from? And he said, ah, murder, rape, you know, a couple other things. <laughs> it's like, um, okay, that's the type of people we're trying to stop. We're not trying to stop the family. Well, exactly. And that's, and that's the whole point, right? So you have to have a filtering system of some kind and protest having a system of some kind is ridiculous. It's just as ridiculous as um, trying to implement a system where we don't let anybody in or where we let 
uh, everybody in. I mean, it's just, you know, come on, guys. It's not, it's, this isn't rocket science, but it does require attention to the details to come up with uh, ideas that are actually going to work and do something so that we can be the America we all want it to be. I don't think any of us, um, I think we all want America to be what we would expect it to be, what we, what we know the potential of it could be. And I guess we get into these disagreements or fights with each other uh, because we have different ideas about how to go about that. Uh, or we've been given just false wrong information about what's actually going on. And so we have these different ideas that we're fighting over smoke and mirrors. We're fighting over fantasies. And that's, that's, that's when I have a, a hard time with what's going on. Well, it's like that picture that came out, what was it on the front of Time magazine where you had that girl in the little pink outfit and then you had the president standing over, you know, and I was just like, oh, that, this is a perfect time to show that. And it's just like, but I want to ask you something. I'm sure you interact with a lot more people on the left. What is their whole feeling about it? Do they just really feel that there's a bunch of neo-Nazis on there shooting kids or? Like, I mean, it's, oh, no, I don't think anybody thinks anybody's down there shooting people. But I think that um, I've never spoken with anybody on the left who says, go for it, open borders, let everybody in. I've never heard that. I've never seen that. The only people I've ever seen perpetuating that are people on the right through. I've, I've seen it heard a lot. You've yeah. actually spoken with people who said we should have fully open borders. Yeah, they said that there, there's no reason to have a border that people should be free to move around wherever they want to. And they said that human beings do not have borders. And, okay. Uh, well, well, those are not my friends. I'll put it that way. I've not, spoken, I've not spoken with those people. These are uh, people that, are radical. That they exist, I'm not surprised by. Are they representative of the left as I know and see and experience it? No, they're not. That would be just as fringy as the, you know, did you assume my gender people? You know, I, mean, I just kind of <laughs> go, okay, whatever. You know, I, I, I can't really have a rational conversation with you if you honestly believe that there should be no borders. I mean, that's just, that's a very unrealistic expectation for our modern world. Maybe in some utopian future that could possibly come to exist once we get rid of our violence gene. But for now, I don't think that's going to really work out so good. I have one look. Why do you feel that people constantly attack our policy, but they don't say that anybody else in the world is some racist, evil person? Why do you think that is? Like, I don't hear anything about, you know, like um, Canada doesn't, doesn't let people just stream on in or, you know, they're, every other country has a border policy, you know what I mean? But they're never labeled like the United States border label is. What well, we're, we're Americans talking to Americans about America. I mean, if you go have that discussion over in Europe, you're going to have a whole different conversation because, you know, that's the that's one of the biggest foundations for why Brexit is happening is because of the immigration troubles that UK is experiencing uh, and the propagation or propaganda around that, uh, you know, because there's there are issues over there with that. And there's a lot of dissension and disagreement about it. Uh, some of that's also happening in some other European countries. I know about this much about it, you know, I mean, so I don't talk in, as though I have some big grasp of the European situation, but I know that there are problems. Um, I think that both sides 
either exacerbate the enormity of the problem or downplay the enormity of the problem, depending on what agenda they're pushing. But I think the truth on this case is probably somewhere in the middle, just like it is here that we're talking about on our southern border. The truth is, is got elements from both sides on it, you know. Um, I don't. So I think that that's. I think that's why people are not talking too much about other countries, as I don't think they really. They don't understand our own policies and our own situation enough that they're going to start talking about other countries. Sure. What's going on there? You know. Um, I would encourage. I would encourage anybody um, who's listening, if they're in the area of you know Arizona or California or any sort of border, to go and actually take a look from a safe dif- uh, from a safe distance and really see how fortified it is. You can fall across the border on accident. Um, it right. is really just set up by a barbed wire fence that's maybe three feet from the ground in some areas. Sometimes there's no fence at all. But, you know, I think some people think that there's this giant command structure with machine guns on top or something, but <laughs> Yeah, no, not, yeah. It's, and like I said, it's complicated. I think depending on who you talk to, you're going to get all kinds of different views and ideas on it. But I, I like taking the bigger picture perspective that usually brings some degree of sanity to my head. Uh, and it gets me feel like I have a better grip on what's going on so that I can make more informed decisions. And I think that that is what's happening. Here's, here's what I'd like to wrap this up with is I think that that viewpoint that I'm pushing is happening more and more in the United States now. And I think if anything, Trump only helped that happen because he uh, is such a contentious figure and there was so much emotional vitriol connected with his uh, election that a lot of people decided to become better informed about what's going on and try to do more about it. And I think that it, no matter which side of the political fence you fall on, that is a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think that we are seeing more and more of that. I never would have imagined three, four, five years ago that I would ever be doing a podcast talking about issues like this and feeling like I had something significant to say about any of it, right. uh, you know, or that I would be talking to an audience of people who I think actually are going to be just as interested in, in wanting to know and wanting to keep up with what's going on and want to know about the details, want to know about, you know, what's actually going on. When I throw out these sort of, you know, uh, Americans need to learn more, you know, like as though I'm castigating everybody. I, I don't think that's really my audience. I think the people who listen to what I have to say are people who do want to know more, do want to have a better grip on what's going on around us and are looking for that information. And I think we're seeing an expansion in YouTube and independent platforms for exactly that reason. I agree. I think there's a lot more discord going on now with, with people, um, like, uh, for instance, I, I, I've noticed a lot with people on the, on the right, they're kind of moving more into this, not libertarian right, but they're basically socially liberal, still fiscally conservative, still believe, you know, real patriotic type people, but their best friend may be a transgender or, the, you know, they do not align themselves with like the 1950s conservatives. That is dying. Um, I've been seeing that just die real quickly. I think the people that are in charge of this country that are politicians are still of that 1950s conservative. But the, the voter itself, 
I don't think that they're, you know, necessarily believe and which is why I think the country is like, we want something different. And I think that was one of the reasons why you had some people that were probably Democrat that ended up voting for Donald Trump. Um, it was more of that. I don't agree with everything over here. I don't agree with everything over there. And he kind of coined himself as somebody that like, you know, I have both views, um, you know, regardless of who he was or who he is, that person still wanted that. That person still wanted somebody that wasn't here or here, you know, and, and unfortunately we got just choices, but I, I do see probably within the next, I hope within the next 20 years, maybe a third party um, or something of that. And I, and I see America just being a real middle country. Yeah. I think, I think we're moving in that direction as well, or a major reformation of the parties we do have because that is really going to be necessary. If we don't have an, uh, the rise of independent third parties, then we're going to need to see some major reformation of what we've got, because what we've got right now is, is just not reflecting the will and, and ideas of, I think, the majority of the country. And the longer that these groups feel like they have to cater to these extremist ends, these very loud, noisy, bickering, blah, on the ends and not pay attention to the majority of people who are actually in the middle. I think to that degree, we're going to continue this divisive dissension uh, within our country and, um, and we'll sort it out eventually. I, I've, I've now come to a place where I think that that's where we're going. I think we're going to, I think we're going to sort things out. Uh, I don't think it's all, you know, going to hell in a handbasket. And again, the reason I say that is not because I'm a hopeless optimist, but because I look at history. And when you drill down into the details of our, of our political history, I, I, I wanted to share a couple of things with you I thought you might find amusing. Um, we all know about Hamilton and Burr, you know, trying to kill each other in a duel back in the day. But did you know that there were actually three congressmen who died in duels over the years? In 18, check this one out. This would be, imagine if this happened now. In 1859, Senator Broderick of California, a sitting senator, United States congressman, was killed in a duel with the chief justice of the Supreme Court. Imagine if that happened now. <laughs> they, oh. they, 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 they were so pissed off at each other over their political or whatever other differences they had that they went and got guns and they went and killed each other or took shots at each other. I mean, could, could you imagine? I mean, we're not even like even remotely in that place at this time. We have we've civilized our country to a to a great degree over over how things used to be. So when yeah. people talk about violence in politics and there's never been more divisiveness than there is now, I kind of go, I'm sort of taking it all with a grain of salt at this point. Again, having contributed to that conversation, having played my part in being on the extreme end of, oh my God, this is the most horrible thing that's ever happened in this country. Well, you know, you give it a little bit of time, you give it a little bit of study, you give it a little bit of education and you kind of think about it for a bit and you go, well, actually, <laughs> maybe, maybe it's not quite as bad as we all are thinking it is, you know? Oh yeah. And you know, an extremism is so easy to fall into sometimes because when you feel that everything that you believe is being challenged and going to be ripped away from you, it gets you in a defensive position. And I will say that there was a time in my life when I did feel like, all right, I need to stock up ammo. I need to get every single rifle I can find because they're coming and I am, 
I want to make sure that my country still has a breath after we're done. And I, I, looking back, I can't believe I used to think like that. It was a daily thought. I always made sure that I had magazines placed around the house. And I wasn't like a dangerous person not thinking all my neighbors were out to kill me. But I had actually thought at one time, because I hung with such an extreme crowd, that there was, you know, this, this like, um, there was this whole liberal, you know, agenda to just destroy America. And... You know, and I thought that was anybody on the left, not just a few. I thought it was everyone that being on the far right was something that was the only way that you showed that you loved your country. And anything other than that, you just want to see the country burn. And to anybody that's watching right now, if you're thinking like that, I've been down that rabbit hole and at least to just stress and just it's a terrible feeling. And it's not like that. Yeah, there's people that may say that, but it's as far from the truth. And you know, doesn't help you sleep if that's what you believe. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I, and you know, and you and I are people who have been on extreme ends of these things. You just laid out yours, of course. I've I, everybody knows my extremism. Uh, oh, I went far left too. So, yeah, I mean, and I, I've been on both ends of the political spectrum as a Scientologist. I was far right. I wasn't gun stacking far right, but I mean, I was, I was a ditto head, Rush Limbaugh follower. I would have thought Sean Hannity back in the '90s was just like the cat's meow. I remember the when he, yeah, I remember when he was first coming on on radio uh, uh, after Limbaugh and stuff. You know, is when I first heard about that guy. Now I can't stand either one of them. I think they're both you know a couple of windbags. So obviously opinions change, ideas change, but um, but that's a good thing. That's how it's. That's how I think it should be. I think we all should be malleable and changeable and and able to acknowledge that you know just because we thought something ten years ago doesn't mean we need to be stuck to it now. We can change our minds about things if if we learn new things and grow and and want you know as long as we're moving in a direction where we want good things happening, then I think it's positive change. You know, so. I I think the hardest thing for that, and I'll just, I'll just end with this. The hardest thing about getting out of a, of a mind thought is to say that every, the biggest thing that was hard for me was saying that everything that I believed was not true. And that's, that's sometimes it's scary to think that, that everything that you believed may not be right. And so then once you, that's your identity, that's who you are, but it opens up such a bigger world when you expose yourself to everything else and then you just decide for yourself and you do the research and that's far better than believing any sort of left or right ideology. Exactly. And that's what kind of where this has all been going is, you know, we've been talking about a lot of stuff, which I'm sure a lot of viewers, if you're still listening, if, if I've helped managed to hold on to you this long, uh, you know, I'm sure there's some people out there who might hate my guts for some of the things that we have talked about here during the show, but they're just opinions. They're just ideas, you know, and they're open for change. They're open to, to be talked about. And I think that in the end, that is what it should mean to be an American in 2019, is, it's, is we need to come out of this identity politics, divisive, you know, I must hate you and want to destroy you if you disagree with anything I say or think about politics or religion, which are the two top contentious issues. We need, you know, being an American who holds American values and ideals as senior should be a person who can see, who can rise above that emotional investment and see that there's a bigger picture, there's a broader perspective, there's more potential here for positive change and growth than we've ever seen. And if we 
strive to meet that potential, then I think we're being what it truly means to be an American uh, in this, you know, this year and this coming up here. So we'll see where this all goes. Brandon, thanks for, for contributing to my show this week. It's nice to have somebody to bounce ideas off of. Chris, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Awesome, man. And anybody out there, if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, and I'm sure you will, uh, go ahead and leave it in the comment section. I very much actually appreciate all of you guys listening to what I have to say here and uh, tuning in every week on the Sensibly Speaking podcast. I will see you guys next week. Bye-bye.